want to welcome everybody to the assembly this morning. We hope that you're excited to be here and spend time with each other. Uh, I've neglected to, to say thank you all week for the prayers that uh, have gone on in my behalf as I studied with you, but I appreciated them all. And, uh, and I do hope that as we go through the study that you'll find um, that you'll find it lacking in opinion and that you'll find that it is hidden in God's word. Uh, as requested, we're going to be talking about parenting or raising children this morning and this afternoon. This morning, we're essentially going to be talking about the idea of what's, what's at stake, you know, what's it about, and we'll talk more of, of the, uh, the fill-in details, how we accomplish the goals that we, we must with raising our children. Uh, I'm going to start with a scripture that's, uh, you know, I believe it's had a pretty profound impact on me. At the very least, it scared me. Um, if you would, as, as I found out for the first time, I was going to be a father, um, that, uh, I was reading through different things, feeling like I'm not ready. And, uh, I find out pretty much every day, I'm just not ready for all the things that parenting throws at you. Um, but, but we have an incredible guidebook to raising our kids. And, and what I really believe about parenting our children is that there are answers to all the questions. Uh, there's a lot of hardships we're going to go through. There's a lot of things that might confound us at times. There's going to be a lot of frustrating things and heartbreaking things. Um, but if we really want to give our kids the best opportunity to know God, the answers are found in one book, and, uh, and it's the Bible. Uh, this story's had a profound impact on me. You've probably read it before, but maybe this will be a, a refresher for you this evening. I want to talk about Eli and his children. You remember that Eli was a priest back during uh, the first book of Samuel um, and leading into it. He was the man who trained Samuel. He was, uh, I mean, he was the chief priest. Uh, his father was hand-selected by God, as we'll read in a little bit, uh, but we're going to read about his capabilities or what he did more so as a parent. As his children grew and as he became older, one of the things that became apparent about the children of Eli, children of Eli, is that they were not godly men. That's what I want to start with here. In 1 Samuel 2 and verse 12, he said, Now the sons of Eli were the sons of, sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Wherefore, the sin of the young men, in verse 17, was great before the Lord, for the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. I can't think of a more scary thing in my life, can you? Uh, we, every one of us, we want to be called the sons and daughters of God. That's what our life is about. It's about having a relationship with God where we can say that He is our parent. And, and what that means is that we follow His will, we follow His instructions, we are in submission to Him, and we allow Him to lead our life. But this was not the case. You know, we get nicknames in life, lots of little, little nicknames and things like that. And you've probably heard some of the nicknames the Springers bestowed upon me, you know. Uh, through the years you get nicknames sometimes those nicknames they uh, they kind of come from a place that says something about your personality or who you are there's been I've been called a lot of things my kids have been called a lot of things but I hope one of the things that I and them are never called is the sons of Belial how heartbreaking. You think about this priest of God. He has served all of his life in the house of God, this tribe of Levi. And at the end of it all, what he looks out and he sees is that his life work or his sons, they've forsaken everything. 
And the one that they're following is not the one who they're supposed to be serving, teaching, and helping other people uh, obey, but they're actually following a false god. And, and as I thought about this passage, and as I continue to think about this passage on a, on a daily basis in raising my kids, I ask myself the question, I ask you to ask yourself, whose children are your children? Maybe it's the question, whose children will your children be at some point? Because that's a question I have to ask at some point. Whose will my children be? Will they be gods? Or they, we, will, they be some, will they be a pagan? Will they be the worlds? Will they be Satan's? That's essentially what it's equated to here. And, and everything that we do as parents, as raising our children, it needs to be impacted by the answer to that question. Who do, they want, who do we want them to? To belong to by the time that we're done raising them this story gets sadder I believe in some ways but it also sheds some light on what was actually going on in the situation you notice that it says that the sin of the young men were great before the Lord for men abhorred the offering to the Lord and one of the things that they were causing a lot of Israel to do is is to turn against the sacrifices of God they were very discouraging for the people of Israel wanting to worship God 1 Samuel 2.22, it says that now when Eli was very old, he heard all that his sons did unto Israel and how they lay with the women at the, that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by the people. Name my sons, it's no good. Report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge will judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall uh, entreat for him? Notwithstanding... They hearkened not unto the voice of their father because the Lord would slay them. And, and what happens, what, what you look at here is a man who seems to have been oblivious for a very long time. A man who suddenly wakes up one day as an older man and goes, what are you doing, kids? Maybe even not with that much vim and vigor, you know. He looks out and he sees all the things they're doing and these are egregious things. Uh, you're talking about uh, beyond the eating of meats that they shouldn't, further on in this passage, he talks about how they would go in and, and as other priests were preparing meat sacrifices and fat offerings, they'd go in and say, you just dip down in that bucket right there and whatever you come out with a meat hook, you bring that to me. And then they'd go to him and they say, don't cook it as much as it's supposed to be cooked. Don't leave some of that fat on it. The fat was supposed to go to God and, and bring it to me while it's still raw. And, and people would try to warn him and say, no, no, well, you got to wait till it's done. You have to take the appropriate amount. But, but they weren't. They're taking everything they wanted. Their portion, they were going to have a portion, but they'd take their portion before they were supposed to have it. Whenever they wanted it, they said they'd take it by force, so they were threatening men. And not only would they partake in it, but their father even partook of that meat. We find that he was a, a portly man. He's a big fella. They were gluttonous. Everything was about them. Even the people who came in to serve God, like these ladies here, said that they were defiling them and sleeping with them, committing fornication. And, and can you imagine looking at that type of corruption and saying, yeah, I want to serve the same God that they do. They were turning people off. And so Eli, in his old age, finally says, boys, boys, what are you doing? Please stop. Please change your mind. He wasn't real adamant, was he? I don't know. One of the things I think about with this is it said he was a very old man at the time. 
if we think that we can wait and wait and wait in our kids' lives before we actually start trying to raise them, then we're going to come to a place in our life where we try to, to warn them about things that they shouldn't be doing or teach them about the things that they should be doing, and they're not going to listen to us anymore. That, I, this scares me to death. Uh, we talked about this a little bit the other night as we talked about leaving and cleaving. There's so much sway, and it's sway given to us by God to be able to teach our children at this point, whenever they're younger, from the time that they're very young. And we'll, we'll talk about all of that, when to start training uh, in this afternoon service. But if we don't train now, there's going to be a time whenever they're not going to listen to us anymore. And I think that time comes sooner and sooner in their life, depending on how little we train them when they're very young. And we see a very good example of this where when he went to them to tell him there was nothing he could do, imagine how helpless he felt. Imagine how helpless when he went to him and he said, you're destroying the kingdom. This isn't just these two sons were bickering with each other like our kids do when they're small. They weren't just running around a little bit and wild. I mean, they were destroying the kingdom. One generation later and, and they're not serving the king God, they wanted a man God which also had to do with some bad parenting. While they have to listen to you, <laughs> I guess have to use a different, maybe not the right term. While they're more impressionable, we need to do everything that we can to make sure that we, uh, that we keep them walking on the right paths. You know, he was very negligent in his attempts to correct them. I think there's a lot of times where people are afraid to tell their children no. In fact, I've heard a lot of people, even inside of the church, talk about how that it's not right to tell their kids no. And, and talking about positive reinforcement, we're going to talk about positive reinforcement. We'll talk about tell, saying no and stuff this afternoon. But I'll tell you this, our God was never afraid to tell his children, thou shalt not. Why? Because God knew that if he didn't train us the right way to live and set those boundaries at an early point in our Christian walk, that at some point we just walk completely away. We wouldn't understand the boundaries and we wouldn't live right. And we have to make sure that at a time in our life where we have more sway over our children, that we're not negligent in correcting them. He goes on down, and, and I think it's an interesting phrasing here. I just want to make sure that it's a little bit more clear. He says, notwithstanding this, these sons, they didn't listen to the voice of their father because the Lord would slay them. And, and sometimes we think, uh, we, we use because in a way that it's not used here. Sometimes because is because of this, the kids would not listen. Because uh, God was going to kill them, they wouldn't listen. But that's not the case. Uh, because there is more of a therefore type of word. So because they wouldn't hearken to the voice of their dad, because they wouldn't obey the Lord, therefore the Lord would kill them. These sons were going to be punished for their acts, and that's something that we need to understand as parents. So there's going to come a point when they don't have to listen to us anymore, and they're going to make decisions. Those decisions are going to dictate whether or not they have a relationship with God that is going to grant them eternal life or eternal damnation. That's what's riding on this. Going on, uh, he, is, he is talked to by another, another priest or a prophet here uh, in verse 28, and he talks to him about his role in this. He says, uh, that God said, and did I choose him, talking about Eli's father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest and to offer upon mine altar to burn incense and to wear an ephod before me? And did I give into thy, the house of thy father of all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? 
Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me to make thyself fat with the chiefest all the offerings of uh, Israel, my people. Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. You, you see, one of the things that was going on that maybe Eli didn't realize at the time is that he was really giving more honor to his children than he was to his God. Oh, how was that? How was that? Because our heart is tender towards our kids, isn't it? Naturally so, or it should be. There should be a lot of tenderness towards our children, where we want to be compassionate and kind towards them. And I'll tell you, as we'll talk about it this afternoon, no parent in their right mind really wants to discipline their kids and finds that to be just this fantastic experience in life. But we also have a responsibility and a duty given from God to make sure that we correct our children and to teach them. And the things that he is answering for, I think, is important to know about. He wasn't just answering for his lack of duties as a priest. In fact, what he talks about is he said he was led away from his priestly duties and responsibilities because he would rather honor his children than he would rather honor God. And I'll tell you, if we won't correct our kids, we're honoring our children over God, and that's a detrimental thing to do. We think that we're being their friends, we think that we're being kind, we think that we're being compassionate, but really we're in rebellion to the plan that God has for training our children. We're rebellion and disobedient to Him because we're not filling our roles, and we're doing no favors to our children by not correcting and teaching and guiding them. We need to ask ourselves as we train our kids, at this point in my life, am I honoring God or am I honoring my children? And if I'm honoring my children, have I really done them any honor? Have I really done them any good? And I think we have to constantly make that assessment. In 1 Samuel 3 and 13, he says, I have told him, talking about Eli, I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. He watched it happen. He watched the process with his kids from the time that they grew up and he said he watched them be vile and he refused to restrain them. That means stop them. And so not only was his kids going to be slain by God, but he was going to lose all that he had. God punished him. He said, I'm going to cut your, your line off from this house, from this, from this office forever. And we know the line a lot of times in kingship. You remember it passes through the fathers, from father to father. You know, and just like with King Saul, you remember he, he messed up and, and wouldn't go back to God. And so God cut his life off from the throne. Well, that's what happened to Aaron's line. And who's going to take over? Oh, you know, he said, I'm going to cut your line off. And he's talking about bigger things than just that. I mean, we don't sit in this priestly office for him to cut our line off. But what we're talking about is our personal relationship with God, parents. And the referendum that our actions will or won't have on that. Are we watching our children make themselves vile in the name of kindness, in the name of positive reinforcement, in the name of laziness, sometimes... Sometimes we can be lazy without ever even realizing, not because we're lazy people in general, but maybe because we're busy people and because we're tired people and because we're worn out people. We can watch our, our children go down this path 
And it's our responsibility to make sure that we stop them from doing that. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong impression this morning. I don't think that every time our kids don't stay faithful to God that it is always our fault. You know, the important part to notice here is that we're going to be judged by God for whether or not we did or did not fill our role the way he called us to. And I'm going to answer for that unless I'm forgiven. And if I don't, if I don't train my children and nurture and the admonition of the Lord as fathers are called to do, and I don't restrain them or I don't teach them or I don't nurture them, I don't inform them and all of those things, I believe that what he's saying here is I am watching them make themselves vile, I will restrain them not, and he's not going to be happy with me. Now, that's about my relationship with him. Now, what I don't think this means is that if we do everything that we can and they still turn away, that we have to answer for all of our children's sins, too, because that's not what Eli was answering for. He's not in trouble because of all of the sins of his kids. He's in trouble because he saw him going down that path and he didn't change them. We don't answer for anyone else's sins but our own. Ezekiel 18 and 20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon him. There are times where you can raise your children as best you can. You're not going to be perfect, and they may walk away from God. That happens. Uh, there's no doubt in the world that that happens. And one of the other things that I have no doubt, and I have no doubt that no matter how good of a job you do, that a parent whose child walks away isn't going to sit there and in some ways go, what did I do wrong? What did I mess up? I mean, I don't care how good you are. There's probably going to be some of those thoughts. But the truth is we're going to answer for the things that we do or do not do, and they're going to answer for the things that they do or do not do. And the question is, will I do what I'm supposed to do? Will I be the helper to my children and be the one who will submit to his God? You know, we have a job that we've been given to do, and this man was judged because he did not do his job. Ephesians 6 and verse 4, one we're very familiar with, and we mentioned it. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up. And the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, fathers, it's time to step up. I'll tell you that in a lot of ways, mamas do a lot of the spiritual raising. And, and that's just... That's just part of life in some ways. I mean, because a lot of times and historically men have been the ones out in the field working, so to speak. And who spends the most time with the children? That's mama. And we're going to talk about mama here in a moment. But you know what? Mama is not the spiritual leader of the home. That doesn't mean that she isn't playing an important role. We're going to talk about some of those important women at some point in raising the children's life. That doesn't mean that she shouldn't be spiritually informed and capable of training her children. She should. But we should be the spiritual guide and leader in our home. And as we've been told to raise up our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, He expects us to do that job. Not just teach them to swing a ball bat. Not just teach our sons to shoot guns and go to daddy-daughter dances. Not just that. We're talking about training our children to be godly. So that instead of being children for the rest of their life, that by the time they are ready to walk out on their own, they're actually ready to walk out on their own and serve God. He's called fathers to that role. You and me. And they need us. That's, that's the thing we need to realize. Eli didn't realize, I guess, his kids needed him to be filling that role, to step up and be men. And instead of being the ones who, when maybe mama says, well, I don't really feel like going to church today, I'm tired, being the one that says, no, we're going. 
And whenever it's time to set up the family vacation, he's the one who says, no, we're not going to set it up this time. we got church things. And one who's making decisions to make sure that his children grow up knowing who God is. And they have an opportunity to have a relationship with him. There's so many different aspects of that. We'll talk about it. But having said that about fathers needing to step up and also be the spiritual guides and leaders in the home, that doesn't mean that mama doesn't have a role in that. A lot of times we focus completely on Ephesians 6 and 4, and I've even heard some people go so far to say is there's not really a commandment uh, drawn or given to the women or the mothers to train up their children the same way as given to the man. Here's one I would say is, is pretty close. It says 1 Timothy 5.14, he said, I will therefore... Uh, that the younger women marry, bear children, and guide the house. Give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. That guide the house is not talking about being able to sweep a floor real well. He's talking about training children, guiding the children, instructing the children. It's a very similar commandment as what's given to fathers. And I'll tell you, the women, you're going to play a massive impact on your life. And what that tells me, as husbands and as wives, as moms and dads, we need to be united in raising our children. The disparity in who disciplines and how we discipline doesn't need to be very large. It doesn't need to be that the mama ha all mama can do is say, you better wait till your daddy gets home. You need to be able to train your children. And fathers, you don't need to be able to say, go deal with that kid. You need to be willing to be the one who gets up and deals with them. Stop pushing it off on each other. Stop neglecting your part of the role. And whenever we decide to have kids... We need to make sure we're ready to be parents. Now, sometimes life throws that at us, you know, more quickly than we, we think it's going to. And you're never going to be completely ready. I guarantee you no one in here who is a parent or has been a parent is going to say, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. Because, uh, you know, whoever you told that to would look at you and go, okay, <laughs> I bet you are. Look, we struggle. That's another reason why I think as Christians, we really need to lean on each other. One of the reasons why I think there isn't strong parenting today is because there's not a lot of strong people to lean on in parenting. You got more people who are willing to say, don't be mean to that baby when you're trying to train your child upright than you have a people encouraging you whenever you actually do discipline. We're scared to talk to each other about parenting. I'm telling you, as parents, sometimes we're the biggest babies in the world. You can tell us how to fix our car. You can tell us how to manage our finances. You can tell us we need to obey the gospel and that we're big fat sinners and we need to change. And we're okay with that and we're good with that. And we should be good with all of those things. But you tell us that we need to do something with other kids and how dare you? Don't you tell me how to raise my kids. We need to be a little bit more open-minded to God's word and godly principles. Because you know what? You're going to need all the support we can get. Because this world wants to destroy good, godly parenting. And it's doing a pretty good job. We have a duty to fill. And we need to make sure that we're doing that duty because there is a lot on the line. Hosea 4 and 6, he said, My people are destroyed by lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge, I'll also reject thee. Thou shalt, and thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. I had the accusation leveled here that God is a vengeful God. And if you don't do something he wants, then he's going to take it out on you and, and all the generations to come. And that's not what this passage is teaching. What this passage is teaching is you need to remember me. 
It's teaching, a, it's teaching a practical thing because what happens? What happens in our home when daddy doesn't teach and mama doesn't teach and dad doesn't correct and mama doesn't correct is that you raise kids who went to church. They were at church all the time, but they saw no correction, no submission, no authority, and they don't know how to behave anymore. And so one of these days, what you have is parents who go, I don't know what happened to them. Where'd they go? Well, it's because we forgot God's principles. We forgot to instill it into them. And he said, it's going to impact generations. You know, one of the most, one of the built-in evangelistic uh, pools, I guess you could call it, that we have is our kids. We go and we knock doors because we should. We should go into all the world. There's people we may never come into contact if we don't do something like that. We go out and we talk to our friends. We should. We love them. We care about them. Who else is going to tell them? We tell our friends and our family and our kids. They're the ones think about them. We have much more sway over them than we do our friends and our coworkers. We have much more sway over, our, over them than our grandparents. We have, I mean, infinitely more sway over them than somebody we walked up to the door and knocked on the door and said, hey. I mean, we get them every single day. Every single morning, we get to wake up and train on our children. Every single day is an opportunity to influence their mind and their heart. And if we neglect that opportunity, one of these days, they're going to forget God. And think about the congregations that uh, they're dying because of attrition. The kids aren't there anymore. Now, sometimes you have it like there's some areas where the jobs aren't there and people move away. I understand that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the church dying because the kids don't serve God in their adulthood. See, if we forget to give God to them, not only are they going to forget God, maybe they don't completely forget God, but I, I've heard it said that what one, what one generation is relaxed in, the next generation forgets completely and that's what he's talking about here and we got to make sure that there's no excuse I guess for our children to forget God in their generation think about your children think about your grandchildren think about your great-grandchildren there's some people in here who are multi-generation Christians who've been in the church for a long time and some of you are the very beginning of that pattern for your family don't let it end with you there is a lot at stake here in Proverbs 29 and verse 15, he said, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings his mother to shame. You ever shamed your mama? I've shamed my mama. I've shamed my mama in more ways than one. There are things that I'm glad my mama doesn't know because they'd bring her more shame, sadly, about me. You know the type of people that shame their mama, the Bible says here are ones that get left to their own self. A child left to himself. You got a you got a generation of kids that are just doing anything they want to do right now. And I watch parents struggle to find some way to be proud of that child. Now, I'm not saying that you won't find some way to be proud of your child. Your child might be respectable in some ways when they grow up and do respectable things. But what he says is if we don't bring uh, wisdom to their life by teaching them and by correcting them, the rod and reproof there, he said it's like we're leaving them to train themselves. And he said it's going to bring shame someday. Think about the relationships that are at stake. Uh, we might have to not be their friend completely every day of their life with their kids so that someday we can actually enjoy a relationship with them. 
And we can sacrifice some time now and some sleep now and some energy now and, and diligence now so that someday we can just walk comfortably with them. And there's a lot of families that are in turmoil because the generations that follow after them, they don't follow God and it brings a lot of discomfort. And, I, and there's a whole pendulum of what that shame and discomfort could be. I mean, it doesn't mean that they've walked completely away from the church, but there might just be relationship issues. And he says that the way that we parent is going to alter that. The future is at stake. In Proverbs 23 and 24, he says, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he that begets a wise child shall have joy in him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. I'll tell you, there's, there's some bad things that are at stake. And, but I want you to know that there is good things also at stake. There is, you know, love hopes. We talked about that last night. And, and I got to think that as a parent, love hopes that everything is going to be great one of these days. And that's what this passage talks about. Parenting isn't all about what could happen that could go wrong. It's about what could happen that can be awesome, that can be wonderful, that is full of praise, that is full of honor, and that's full of glory to God. He uses this word begetteth here. A lot of times I see the word begetteth, and it's just talking about somebody had a kid, you know. You know, so-and-so beget that kid, and they beget that kid, and so forth. And this isn't just about having a child here. This is more like that bring-up term that we see. To bear, beget, birth, but bring up. And that's about the training aspect. And he said, whoever is a father or a parent to the righteous man, the grown-up, won't he greatly rejoice? And you think about that. You know, I'm thankful for my dad, you know, and, and some of the things that he did or may not have done in his life. One of the things that I did, I quit college. You know, I quit college, and he wasn't very happy with that. Um, and I know that I disappointed him. He wanted me to finish my college education. I know what he wanted was for me to not have to break my back in some ways, and like he did as he worked through all the years. Uh, but at the same time, we have a really good relationship because he's drawn closer to God, and I've drawn closer to God, and I'm grateful for that relationship we have. He's my friend. My dad is one of my best friends now. Sometimes the way he talks to me about, you know, I feel like I'm blessed to be able to do this work, but the way he talks to me about how he feels about what I do and, and who my wife is and my children, I mean, I'm grateful that he can be proud and that he's not sitting around worrying about me all the time. If I'm out there causing the same kind of problems that they had before, and if I was disappearing, and if I wasn't in church, and if I wasn't serving God, I'm glad that he has some peace of mind. I think my mom's pretty glad too, and your parents will be of you as well. Any of you faithful, faithful folks in the church? Any of you folks who have children who are faithful, you know what I'm talking about better than I do. And I hope I get to experience that someday. Sometimes I might be big bad daddy right now. Some people might think that I'm a mean old man. I'm only old to those little kids. <clears throat> Some people might think that. But I hope that the way that I raise my kids someday is leaving me with this blessing. That's something to look forward to. We don't just 
have the opportunity to impact our kids in a negative way, but we have a great opportunity to change their future for the better, to change our future for the better. That's in our hands. That's in our control. We're very goal-oriented people. I think this is what we ought to focus on, but, you know, we have this end goal uh, in mind in a lot of things in life. I, you know, I remember we started going to job fairs and college fairs when I was in, like, elementary school. And uh, when my wife was teaching pre-K when you were helping with pre-K, they had, they had a career day in pre-K. And I thought, my goodness, we're a goal-crazy people in our world today. You want to lose weight? You set goals. You want to have a career? You set goals. You want your kid to do this or that? Why don't we set goals? What type of godly goals do you have for your children? And I want to share a few with you that I think uh, you might find your own in the scriptures, but here's a few that I think are, are very noble and can be very helpful. Why, why do we have goals? Because they help us to achieve something that we want to achieve. And all of these speak to what we really want to, in a positive way, achieve with our children. First Chronicles 28, you actually had a father talking to a son here, and he was David. He said, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts. And he understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. And if thou seek him, he'll be found of thee. And if thou wilt forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Excuse me. <clears throat> you want your kid to know God. And I think everyone here would go, yeah, of course I do. But what does that mean to know God? There's a lot of people in the world who claim that they know God today. There's a lot of people when I talk to, they say, well, I was raised in the church. I was, raised, I was raised by a preacher, I was raised by a pastor, I was raised by, my mom was real faithful in that, I know God, I know all about God. And the question is, do they really? What does it mean to really know God? And I think as a parent, we need to really think about what he's saying here. When he's saying, I want you to know thou the God of thy father, it's not just knowing about God. I mean, atheists know about God. It's not just about a simple belief in him. You remember the devils, they believe in Jesus and they tremble. This isn't about just knowing some of the highlight stories. Yeah, Noah built a boat and there were animals on it. It's not just about knowing Jesus died on the cross. It's about knowing God. Whenever I talk about knowing some of you in here, I've just met you and I know you. We're acquaintances. We're getting to know one another. But I don't know you like, like maybe I know Rusty, who I've known since I was a boy. I know him. He knows me. Some of you know me. We're an acquaintance, but you don't know me. Know me, and hopefully through the years we get to know each other a lot better. We'll change that. But I'll tell you, there's a difference in knowing God, knowing about God, knowing some about God, and really knowing him having a relationship with him. And that type of knowing leads to the next part, the next desire he had for his kid. He said, I don't want you to just know about God and know him. I want, you to, I want it to mean something. He said, I want you to serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. Don't you want that for your kids? It's not just about knowing about God and showing up whenever there's a Sunday service every now and then. You want them to know God and say, I want to give to him. I want to, I want to give him the best of my life. I want to make my life a living sacrifice for him. You don't want to have to tell your kids all the time, well, are you coming to church this week, Sonny? Please, would you come to church? We're having a special event. It's Easter. It's Christmas. You want your kids to, to go to church because they want to be a church. 
because they love God and they love his people. You want them to have more of a commitment than just making sure that they fill a pew on Sunday. You want them to be active in the congregation and active in the community and, and active in the lives of all those around them and spreading that gospel. To really be a disciple of Jesus is to make other disciples, to bear fruit in his name. And that's what we want for our kids. I don't want you to just know about God. I don't want you to just watch the work of the kingdom be done. I want you to feel a part of it and desire to be a part of it and play a part in it. Isn't that a great goal for our kids? That was the kind of goal that a man like David had for his children. I want their faith to really be personal. Don't you? That was one of the things that some women were praised for instilling in a young man. You remember whenever Paul was praising Timothy? He also praised the women in his life. He says, when I call into remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that it's in thee also. He said, look, I look at you, Timothy, and I go, that's real faith. That's real faith. That's not a faith that's convenience faith. That's not a faith that is just because, you know, somebody else believed this way. But he said, this is real faith. I don't want my kids to serve my God the way I serve my God because that's the way daddy did it. Or that's the way mama did it. Or that's the way grandma or grandpa did it. You know, you want them to serve their God because he's their God. And their faith is their faith based in the word of God and not on some man or some woman. And he was praised here and they were praised here because they successfully accomplished the task of instilling in him an example of real faith. That's something you can't fake. It's something you can't just walk through the motions in. It's apparent in everything you do. Isn't that what faith does? Faith is visible because faith without works is dead. And he said, your faith is, it's apparent, man. It's real. And you want your kids to have their own real faith based out of the scriptures by the time they grow up. We've got to have bigger goals for them by the time they hit 18 that they'll be accepted into the college that you really want them to go to. We're going to have bigger goals for them by the time that they're 18, that they at least have their driver's license and can chauffeur themselves around to different places. We've got to have bigger goals for them that for the, by the time that they're graduated from school that they can just get a good job. What type of goals do we have for our kids? That by the time that, they're gradu that they, are, they are grown up and the world says that they're adults, that they have a mind for the work of the kingdom, that they have a mind for the people of God, that they have a fervor to serve those around them, that they won't just be good citizens in America, but they'll be good citizens in the kingdom of God, that they won't just be men and women who are looking for a mate, but they're looking for a mate who will also be a benefit in the kingdom of God and a benefit to your future grandchildren. That's what raising a child with unfeigned faith is. That's easier said than done. All of this is easier said than done. I, and I don't know if we'll ever know if we're doing it completely right till it's said and done. We won't do it completely right, but at least we can have something to shoot for, right? To follow this pattern. One more before I stop talking this morning. Proverbs 22 and 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. You know what I hear a lot of times? Well, this isn't necessarily true. This is just a generality. Okay. Okay, it's just a generality. Let's just say it's just a generality. That if you train up a child and we ought to go most of the time, they'll not depart from it. And now that's not what it says. But I want to look at it from a different standpoint. And instead of explaining away 
why our kids won't follow what they've been taught as they've grown up. Let's just take it as a challenge. How about that? You know, because what God said here is, if you train a child in the way that he should go, when he is old and not depart from it, he doesn't say he won't make mistakes, so that she won't make mistakes. It doesn't say it won't be bumpy at times. It says that when he's old, he'll be faithful to the Lord. Let's take it that, that there is a way to train up the, a child in the way that he should go. And that God has this idea about how we should train our children. The world tells you there's all kinds of different ways to train your kids, but I'm going to submit to you there's only one way. That there is only one way to train a train up a child in the way he ought to go, and it's God's way. And that he's got the answers, and he has that way in mind whenever he says, if you do it this way, they're going to be faithful. And instead of using this to say, well, you know, we ain't got to be perfect, and, and this isn't a perfect and always true statement. Let's just say, let's just go, look, I'm going to trust in God, and if he says that there is a way to do it that is surefire to make sure that my kids will stay faithful, then I need to do everything that I can to be that person, to train in that way. We're not going to be perfect. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about never making mistakes. We're talking about shooting to do it the way God called us to because he said there's great reward. I'll tell you, this is the positive side of parenting, and I think we need to focus here that these are the end results we desire. Who doesn't want for this for their children? We all do. We all do. Maybe you've already trained your children. You say, well, my opportunity is done to pass. But look around. You've got a room full of people you can influence. And you can talk to them. And you can help by showing about the things where maybe you didn't understand. You didn't do as good. And you wish you had done better. And maybe you can talk about some of the things that were successful from the scriptures. And you can show those things. And you can help another generation. And don't give up on your own kids. Keep praying for them if that's the case. But, and for all of us who do have kids, we need to band together. We need to be unified in the way that we think about training our kids. Not in the way that the books of the world are written. Not in psychology today. Not in what our friends down at you know, the, the school systems talks about. But we need to be unified in raising our kids in the way that they ought to go. The way that God has called us to raise those kids. Why? Because we want the best for them. And the best for them is God and a relationship with him. We want an easier life for them. And God says the way of the transgressor is hard. Why? Because we want eternity for them. And that only comes through Jesus. And we're the ones who get to help them right now. I'll tell you, these are the things that God wants for you. I don't care who you are. God wants this for you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind, with all of your heart. And with all of your, your, your strength, right? He wants you to have a real faith in him. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And, and maybe you feel like your faith is, is incomplete at this point. Well, let's get in the word together. And let's build that faith so you can know more about God. And so you can give him more of your service. Because what he ultimately wants from you is not for you to perish, not for you to have a hard life, not for everything to be rough. He just wants you to be with him forever. And if you need help doing that in your personal life, if you need help doing that in training your children, if you just have a spiritual need, God wants all this for you and more. Please let it be known while we stand and we sing this last song.